You're listening to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast on the Odyssey Robots Radio Network. And as we hear the sounds of Kazushi Sakuraba's signature walkout music, that means it must be yet another episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Networks. And yes, indeed, it is I, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, and I am coming to you with episode 18 of that aforementioned Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. This is a show where I attempt to sensationalize the everyday by talking about observations, thoughts, reflections, etc. based on the occurrences that take place in my exceedingly ordinary, unremarkable life as a totally average schmo living in Northern California in the United States of America in the year 2020 just here to hit you up with all kinds of unsolicited opinions and thoughts that you never really wanted and don't really need. And with that out of the way, it is time to get rolling, 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 as some horrendous band once said. Uh, so what are we going to talk about today? On this episode of the MSGV podcast, we are going to talk about perceptions of things past and things present. Uh, the idea that for many of us aging folks, it often feels like the things of yesterday, of yesteryear, uh, are somehow intrinsically better or of greater value than the things of today. Is it true? Are we delusional? Is it somewhere, dare we say, in the middle? <laughs> Might be. Um, but before we get to that, uh, I am... Coming to you today, well, not in real time, but I, I, I am recording this today on a Tuesday afternoon um, here in Napa, California at Sensational Manor, and I just finished listening to the latest episode of the Stuck at Home show uh, right before I started recording this. I normally try to listen to it when it comes out. Um, this last episode came out on a Monday. Normally, I would listen to it on that Monday, but yesterday was kind of a crazy Monday around here at the Manor because Ms. Sensational... Um, actually had the ever-controversial Columbus Day off work yesterday. So she and I hung out, and I got kind of behind on podcasts. But um, back to the normal swing of things uh, here. Um, interestingly, that Columbus Day uh, stands out as a marker because um, she started getting that day off at the job she has currently, which she began... Was it three years ago? Four years ago? Three years ago, maybe, going on four. I don't know. Anyway, the first year that she had that job and the first year that she had Columbus Day off was the very day of the infamous Tubbs fire that uh, caused actual, I don't mean actual destruction because all, all of these Northern California, California fires have caused some destruction. But I mean, the Tubbs fire was very memorable for people in Santa Rosa because it really got into areas of the city that... Um, did not seem like logical candidates for uh, wildfire. You had entire suburban neighborhoods burning down, you know, stores, um, 
in the actual city itself. It wasn't just cont contained to uh, rural properties or whatever. Not to discount any damage to rural properties. I just mean it was it was the first fire of its kind in our lifetime, um, or my lifetime at least. But anyway, that the day that that first one happened um, uh, was a Columbus Day. Ms. S had the day off work, and we were like all pumped because it's like, oh, the kids have to, have to go to school. You're off work. I think I was working at the time, but I think I was I took the day off or something. Um, but we were going to go out to lunch at this place called Willie's Wine Bar. And uh, we woke up in the morning, and the first thing is we're kind of groggy and coming to that we hear is that school's been canceled due to, like, weather or something. And we're like, what the F? You like, this is California. You don't close schools for weather. And it was very disorient disorienting. My mom had texted me. It was like, check the news, but no details, you know. And sure enough, we found out that overnight um, there had been all of this horrendous fire damage. School was canceled. Columbus Day plans were shelved for us. And uh, the kicker of all of it is the very restaurant that we were going to go to that day for lunch actually burned down in that fire. So very memorable Columbus Day. And every day since, it's like, oh, yeah, it's the anniversary. But uh, we took advantage of clear skies and no threat to life, limb, or property yesterday to um, hang out a bit grab some lunch, etc. Um, and yes, this was all a long spiraling aside to say that I did not listen to the Stuck at Home show yesterday. I listened to it instead today on Tuesday. So real quick, while it was fresh in my mind, there were there are two things I wanted to piggyback off of from that episode, which you can uh, find over at icrobots.com or you can subscribe to the feed on whatever, any of the many uh, podcast platforms out there that all have these uh, podcasts ready and waiting for you to listen to. Just look, uh, search IC Robots on your podcast platform of choice. But um, yeah, so the two things that I wanted to piggyback off of real quick. One is um, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, IC Robots Horsepower Initiative. Um, when IC Robots first started talking about health and fitness. I think this was back, this was before the Stuck at Home show. I think this was a topic going back maybe even all the way to the Toys R Us report days, but definitely the IC Robots uh, show or what I, what was the name of the show before Stuck at Home? Uh, in any case, you know what I'm saying. It's, it's been a theme of the IC Robots universe for a while. And when I first heard ISR talking about things like exercise and diet. It's not that like I was against it or anything, but you have to understand I'm pretty anti-fitness and I don't even, anti-fitness isn't necessarily fair, but I'm anti the fitness industry and I'm anti worrying about what one eats and uh, just kind of against anti-pleasure zealotry in general. Um, because while you can certainly go overboard with overindulgence, self-indulgence, there's, I guess at this point, this is just like the running theme of Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. It's just moderation in all things, including moderation. I'm, I'm a middle of the road kind of guy through and through, a radical moderate. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't like hearing about no sugar. Um, I don't like hearing about diets. Generally speaking, I'm not talking about IC robots, just it's in my life in general. Um, and I've had people in my life before that are very overly concerned with, with food consumption, food intake. And if you want to do that, if that's your bag, that's fine. But that tends to, in my experience, um, bleed over into attempting to police what other people are doing. That said, 
Um, within the last couple of years, I got to a point in my life where I'm not as young as I used to be, and uh, you know, I used to be able to bounce back pretty quick. I could kind of eat whatever I wanted and not really move a lot, and uh, while I certainly was not remaining as emaciated um, as I was as a teen, I was feeling okay, um, feeling pretty good most of the time, but all of a sudden, back when I was uh, working full-time and kind of had to stop doing the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast for uh, like a three-year period, really a unhealthy time period in our family life because I was working full-time from home. Ms. S. was commuting uh, two hours uh, a day, one hour to work and one hour back. Uh, we were bringing in more money than we ever had in our life with both of us working full-time, but we had absolutely no time eating out constantly, not for any kind of pleasure because at a certain point when you're eating out all the time, you cannot even enjoy it anymore because you feel like such crap. Uh, but eating out all, of, all the time, just sheer out of not having time, not being able to cook, you know, not having that that quietude of life to to uh, have the time to spend on things like cooking nutritious foods and, uh, and getting any kind of exercise. So I was probably, yeah, I was getting up there to kind of the, the heaviest I'd been in my life. But weight isn't even the issue um, uh, because I think – and. I also talked about this with the Horsepower Initiative. It, I, too often when it comes to health and fitness, people fixate on weight and this bizarre uh, kind of cosmetological uh, image that's out there in the ether that people are somehow supposed to be unnaturally emaciated, that that's the natural state of life and and one to, to hold up and desire. Uh, I've got no interest in being emaciated. I could care less. But but there is a point, you know, where you just personally start to not feel well. And so it's it's less about weight and more just overall lack of any kind of physical uh, exercise combined with uh, basically just eating too much and eating, you know, restaurant food, processed foods, etc. Long story short, I came to become a true believer in the horsepower initiative. And I got all of a sudden there was this aha moment. I got what ISR was after. He wasn't saying we had to stop enjoying life. He wasn't saying, you know, he was becoming obsessed with diet and exercise. It was just like, at a certain certain point on those crossroads, you gotta, you gotta realize you're not getting, you're, you're not getting younger. The body's gonna start to break down unless you start to do something about it. And just for me personally, I've started to do some stuff about it. I get about an hour of exercise every day now. I've, uh, ISR had talked about um, downloading one of those food tracker apps. I was using one of those for a while, and then I got kind of burnt on it because it's hard to always uh, uh, find the proper entry for what you're actually eating, especially because nowadays that we do have more time and we do cook at home. Like, we're often making stuff that you can't just, like, scan a barcode, like, this is what I ate. In any case, I did use a food tracker for a while, lost about 10 pounds, and again, weight's not it, but, I mean, it, it was part of an overall getting back into health. And I feel a lot better. I was having like massive like heartburn, chest pains. That's all pretty much gone. Um, and this has all been during the pandemic where the the the, uh, the cliche is that everyone's gaining 20 pounds. But I've t- taken this time to really take the horsepower initiative to heart and uh, get out there, uh, get moving with the time that I have. And I've, granted, I understand that not everyone has the time and that can be an obstacle. But the thing that I've found is you just kind of have to force yourself to do it and you have to force yourself to not stop because the second you stop, for one day, you pretty much stop until you start doing it again, which could be like a year or years later, which has oftentimes been my case with trying to get regular exercise. And my exercise, really, I just walk for an hour and it seems to be doing 
doing the trick for now. So just wanted to give a shout out because I know that uh, ISR said before that he thought he wasn't getting a lot of positive feedback on horsepower, but I just wanted to reiterate how it's uh, uh, helped me personally. But again, I feel like it needs to be done in that spirit of moderation. Let's put it like this. I'd do anything for general health and well-being. I'd walk an hour every day. Bum, bum. I'd do anything for general health and well-being. I'd even eat a bit less. Bum, bum. Uh, I can't remember how the rest of that song goes. But basically the point I was going to make was, I'd do anything for general health and well-being. But I won't do that. Etc. Yeah, I'm never never gonna stop enjoying life, enjoying food, drinking alcohol in moderation, all that kind of stuff, because you can do it and you can still be healthy. Take it from me, Mr. Gino V. And then I said that there were two things I was gonna piggyback off of, but the second one I think I'm actually gonna hold off and talk about at a later date because it's kind of a topic that I'd kind of had that in the back of my mind before, and ISR show just reminded me of it. And uh, we've already been going on for a while on this tangent. And, you know, I'm always worried that eventually I'm going to run out of stuff to talk about. So we can talk about this second topic maybe next time. Uh, and that topic is uh, old PSAs from back in the day that were trying to scare you um, straight. Because uh, he had played a little clip from a Forest Fire one. And it was reminding me of uh, some of those classic terrifying PSAs and what I thought of them as a child. So we're going to talk, talk about that one next time. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get to the main topic of today's show, the main event, as it were. Five rounds in the UFC's heavyweight division. Yeah, uh, back in a sec with old things, new things. On the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. back on the Mr. Sensational Gina Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. I've got such a love-despise relationship with that bumper music. Um, some of you may know that I have been a fan of the UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championships, and mixed martial arts in general, and uh, prior to that when it was called NHB, No Holds Barred Fighting. I've uh, been a fan of all of that pretty much almost all the way back to its inception, and I've fallen off here and there for years at a time, but always end up coming back around to the sport. And so I have watched many a UFC pay-per-view with that intro theme, um, many of which uh, I have lots of fond memories of exciting bouts. So I have positive associations with the song in that regard, but I cannot stand that style of kind of new metal, the corn, the biscuit uh, atrocity. No offense, because I know there's at least a couple of you <coughs> out there that uh, are into that stuff, but uh, not my bag. So yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fine line I walk with that theme. Speaking of which, 
Once you get to the kind of advanced age that I find myself at in this year, 2020, um, you have by this point begun, or well begun, to have established a list. And that list is the list of the many things that were so much better back when. The UFC was better back when. Music was better back when. Pro wrestling was better back when. Uh, video games were better back when. Comic books were better back when. Uh, I don't know, were movies better back when? Probably. Uh, <laughs> everything. So many, so many things. And, and, okay, so there is a cliche um, that middle-aged and older individuals tend to look back on the artifacts of their younger years with rose-colored glasses. And we talked about this a little bit um, when we on the episode when I was talking about um, uh, those of us who shake our cane at uh, digital technology and uh, elevate analog artifacts. Um, but this is kind of that topic uh, about everything, just kind of more generally speaking. And it's one that I, I, I tend to think about Pretty often, because I, I often find myself falling into that camp of thinking that a lot of things um, that I like, that their iterations or versions from when I was younger were objectively better. Now, when I try to put on my radical moderate hat and really think about it uh, neutrally, as neutrally as one can, because again, we can't be neutral about these things really, but when I do try to kind of uh, take a deep breath and think about it, I realize there's just no way that every single thing that exists in the world of popular culture, or maybe even beyond that, was at its objective zenith in the 1980s and 1990s and has never been the same, was never the same before, will never be the same again, will never be as good as that, that uh, halcyon time period of my teens and early 20s. That, that's just impossible. That, that cannot be true. At the same time, there's this kind of um, reactionary edgelord take that actually none of that stuff was good and everything, the current iteration of anything is always the best. And, and you're simply, uh, uh, you know, uh, indulging yourself with nostalgia by thinking anything was ever better the way it was before. So where do we go from there? Of course, we go to the middle. But how do we get there? I think one of the ways to kind of get a more rational take on how much of the past was better than the present and how much is us being retroists or nostalgitarians, um, which, are the, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I, I, I think sometimes it can be sort of stunting to only exist in that realm or to think that nothing post-retro can have any... Of its own value, um, I, I, I think that uh, that kind of shuts off maybe a little more personal growth than we need to shut off. Uh, anyway, I think one of the best ways to get to kind of a middle ground where we can look at it reasonably is to look at things that we are not necessarily personally invested in ourselves and see, see what we can see in those examples and to listen to the takes of um, people that aren't from our age, peer, sphere. So that's what I'm going to talk about right now. But let me throw out a little warning. This next segment right here is going to be a little bit controversial. 
So if you are very beholden to geek orthodoxy, if you are into all things uh, pop culture nerd and sci-fi fantasy, I might need to throw out a little trigger warning. I'm going to be talking about a sensitive topic here for many, but I'm, I, I just feel the need to be honest. We're going to start off by talking about the Star Wars franchise. Now, let me put something out there that I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose some friends. I'm going to lose some followers here. I don't really care about Star Wars. I'm not at all personally invested in the Star Wars franchise. Now, of course, I absolutely loved Star Wars action figures when I was a child, played with them endlessly. But when I stopped playing with action figures, and I'm pretty sure, I know I've told this story on the show before, I don't know if I have clearly stated that it was really when the magic of action figures left me as far as being able to actively play with them. It was that um, proverbial moment when I was using a upside-down Atari 2600 case as a wrestling ring, and I was having a wrestling match between the Martian Manhunter and another action figure that I cannot remember, but I do remember it was the Martian Manhunter versus someone. And the phone rang, and it was my grandmother calling my mother to alert her to the fact that my grandfather had died. Weirdly, the spirit of the action figures just... Uh, I felt I literally felt it leaving my body in that moment, and I found myself just holding two hunks of plastic that looked cool, but I could—they no longer—I couldn't hear them talking anymore. You know, it's like the what's the movie about the or the book about the Christmas bell or whatever, uh, the Polar Express. I couldn't hear the bell anymore, and it's not directly related to to my grandfather's demise. I think it was kind of a coincidence, um, but I always remember it because of that. Um, so anyway, because action figures stopped being a central part of my life and because I never really became an active collector, as much as I, I will readily admit I loved those figures, I think the Kenner Star Wars toys are some of the best, best things ever created in terms of uh, artifacts of popular culture, I didn't retain a real connection with Star Wars. And part of it, too, is that, of course, I saw and loved the, the original three movies as a child. They, at least in my uh, orbit were not in heavy rotation um, in any kind of format post theater. Like I saw them, I, I saw all three of them in movie theaters either when they actually were originally released or during theatrical re releases. But I feel like they weren't in wide VHS circulation for a while, or at least I somehow missed out on them. So I didn't really re watch any of those movies. Um, so flash forward to the prequels when those came out i kind of half-heartedly went to see at least one of them i think i fell asleep um it was a time in my life where i just it was not something i was interested in at all um and you know as everyone is quite uh astutely noted they're not great films anyway um and then when the most recent uh round of new movies and stuff came out i just was so far removed from that franchise i didn't even go see any of them um Around the launch, or directly related to the launch of Disney+, Plus, I um, thought, you know, this is a good uh, opportunity to see what all the hubbub is about. You know, to try to dive back in to Star Wars, to see if I'm just being obtuse, or if it just really does not speak to me anymore. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to watch um, all the films in chronological order, and um, as well as... Uh, the television shows like the Clone Wars cartoon and uh, what's the, the Mandalorian, etc. Because it's all there 
all there on Disney Plus, which I have a free year subscription to. So I started this project and I watched the first three films, you know, the first three um, as far as when they were released. What is it? New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And I got to tell you, folks, as someone who is not emotionally invested in the franchise, I found them to be pretty horrible movies. Taking away, you know, the memories of my childhood that I associate with them, just watching them as a 44-year-old man in a vacuum, I did not enjoy watching them. I thought the writing was awful. I thought the acting was pretty bad. I thought the characters were flimsy. I didn't care about anything that was going on. I felt like it was some of the tropiest, just shallow, uh, surface-level sci-fi fantasy going. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I, it's not like I hated it with a pat. Okay, I didn't like them at all, but it wasn't, it wasn't personal. Like, I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I've noticed that it, sometimes uh, among people that, that uh, are... Um, heavily invested in the franchise. They get really angry about some of the films. This is not what I'm talking about. I just, as a casual observer, they did not speak to me. I did not find them to be quality movies. Uh, sure, I mean, I will preface that with obviously they are influential movies, are important in film history, et cetera, et cetera. But if you take that all away and you just try to watch them as a film, at least for me, I didn't enjoy them. Now I got to the prequels. Uh, the three prequel movies, also not great, but honestly, as someone, again, in a vacuum... I enjoyed them more as movies. <laughs> like, so don't, don't, don't kill the messenger. I'm just telling you. You know, as someone who is not emotionally invested, I thought the prequels were better, but I still didn't like them. And then the project got derailed, so I haven't even seen the, the newest, uh, the most recent spate of films. But I would wager that they've got to be the best of all of them, just because they're made in a, a more contemporary era where there's more resources and... Uh, Average quality of filmmaking is just kind of higher across the board. Um, all of which leads me to believe that this is a case where a franchise that is often um, held up as one that was much better when to someone that does not have the nostalgic investment, that argument kind of falls apart. And it was only better when because you consumed it at a time in your life when you were more of a blank slate um, to receive for formative memories, to make bonds with things, to make attachments with things. And I can see this in my own uh, examples of my own emotionally invested better back wins. Um, you know, I think about... Uh, video games and I was a child of the arcade and a child of Atari 2600 and it's often easy for me and I still I do still play video games to this day and I do enjoy new video games but there's always a part of me that um, you know the back win was so much better um, but when I did this exercise with Star Wars and then I tried to honestly look at a genre like video games that I'm more um, much more emotionally invested in I see that most of that better back win for me is about where I was in my life when I first stepped into an arcade and how because of the age I was at and because of the newness of life and the newness of experiences that uh, walking up to play a simplistic game like Berserk just felt like the largest experience 
known to humankind. Um, but if I try to give it the Star Wars treatment and I try to remove myself from that a bit and I see where games were in the 80s and where they are now as far as just sheer depth of like like uh, storytelling and, and all these other components that exist now to games that just were not possible in historical video games, I realize that objectively I cannot say that across the board everything about video games was better back when. That's really, it is my nostalgia-tinged glasses remembering when the world was a newer, fresher place because I was a newer and fresher human being. Um, it's kind of like, uh, um, I was thinking about this the other day because uh, I saw a reference to the Goosebumps franchise somewhere, the Goosebumps book, and I guess it went into television, etc. franchise, and one cannot think about Goosebumps without thinking about the name R.L. Stein. But for me, I was familiar with the name R.L. Stein long before Goosebumps. In fact, I never even, Goosebumps was before my time. I never got into Goosebumps. But when I was a child, I had an Indiana Jones Choose Your Own Adventure style book written by none other than R.L. Stein, whose name was on the cover of the book. And this book was like, just because of the age I was at and how receptive I was and how new this idea of being able to control the fate of Indiana Jones was by way of, of leafing my way through this book. This book was this larger-than-life tome to me. And when I held the book, I could practically smell the leather of Indiana Jones' jacket and the, the scent of the the gunpowder in his, his revolver. I don't know. Do revolvers even use gunpowder? I don't know. <laughs> so someone on the engineer nerd set me straight because I <laughs> you would know better than I. But anyway, uh, yeah. So this book was this just monumental totem, um, but it was because of the age I was at, and I could never experience that again now with any other book. It just you know that that is gone. It slipped through my fingers like the sands of time. And there's of course two edges to this blade. Once we unsheath it. And on one hand, it's kind of depressing. Because I, I realize that so much of excitement in life is fueled by novelty. And as every year passes, and with every experience we have, it becomes more and more impossible for anything to truly be novel. And everything just kind of gets a little more boring with every passing year. It's kind of like my recent falling out with professional wrestling. Uh, for me, the thrill of the genre was the novelty of being able to experience different forms of it for the first time. Getting my hands on Japanese content. Uh, getting my hands on old historical content. And once I'd seen it all, once it all became commonplace, it just there was nothing left to watch. It wasn't... It wasn't a thing for me anymore. So that's the, kind of the sad side of the blade when we realize that so much of back when is just part of something that we can't recapture. But then the positive edge of the blade is that when we do, if, if you apply, like for me, what for me was the Star Wars test. If you apply it was all better back when to something that you were not attached to and you realize it wasn't necessarily better back then. It allows you to be receptive to new experiences and maybe you still can squeeze some of that novelty out of your uh, aging husk of a life. 
So if you're not um, wedded to the fact that uh, only movies before the year 1995 were any good, you can go out and watch some new stuff, and maybe you'll find something you enjoy. Sure, it won't have the same thrill that you had when you were 10 years old and buying ice cream from an ice cream truck and, you know, basking in the summer glow and waiting in line at the movie theater. You can never bring that back, but you can realize that... uh, there's still things out there worth consuming, worth giving your time. Um, so yeah, the moral of the story here is not to uh, kick everything old to the curb and say it wasn't actually good to begin with. Um, it's just to uh, put things in balance. It's, it's perfectly fine to romanticize and uh, nostalgize the things of your youth, um, but don't let it close your mind to new experiences. I guess that's the whole point. And I guess, uh, again, it's something that you can kind of um, see for yourself if you apply the Star Wars test to your own Star Wars, to your own uh, thing that was better back then that you're not necessarily wedded to. But there's a postscript that we'll end this on. I did mention earlier that the flip to insisting everything old is inherently good is this... Simpsons comic book guy edgelordy thing about um, trying to expose and reduce everything nostalgic to being just nostalgia and it wasn't actually good and the, the newer iteration is always better. And that's not the case either, I don't think. One example in particular always bugs me and it's popular music. And I stand by the fact that I think popular music has been in a sharp, qualitative freefall since the late 1990s. And I think this is the case for almost every genre. You cannot come to me with a straight face and say that, for instance, contemporary country music is as good as, or even anywhere in the same sphere as, say, a Merle Haggard or a George Jones. In my mind, it is qualitatively deteriorated, um, genre-wide. Same goes for um, kind of like alternative rock and punk rock music. Um, For sure, hard rock and heavy metal. We talked about some of the abominations of new metal earlier. Um, Again, mileage will vary and people will disagree, but I feel that this is something that literally was better back when. Um, I feel the same way about a lot of hip-hop music. Uh, Like, you listen to vintage Wu-Tang or vintage uh, Biggie Smalls, then you try to listen to something from the modern day where it's a guy just monotoning about how some woman did him wrong and it's just really whiny and trite. Um, But interestingly... um, My kids have been uh, offering uh, real-world feedback on this. And uh, they, and again, this is a small sample size, it's just my own two daughters, they agree. When I play them uh, 80s music, 90s music, in their estimation, cross-genre, it is objectively better than the popular music of today. So, it just goes to show. Maybe some of it really was better back when. Or maybe my kids are just hopeless anachronists. The world 
may never know. Folks, thanks for tuning in. It's Mr. Sensational, Gino Vega, with the 18th episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. I hope I didn't hurt any feelings or ruffle any feathers with the Star Wars talk. Again, a lot of this is all in good fun and intended to be for entertainment purposes only. Uh, and I gotta, I gotta come up with something to talk about. And uh, hey, controversy creates cash. So folks, again, thanks for listening. Uh, talk to you next time. Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, signing off. And I would do anything for love. I'd run right into hell and back. I would do anything for love. I'll never lie to you, and that's a fact. But I'll never forget the way you feel right now. And I would do anything for love Oh, I would do anything for love I would do anything for love But I won't do that No, I won't do that Some days it don't come easy And some days it don't come hard Some days it don't come at all And these are the days that never end And some nights you're breathing fire And some nights you're caught in ice Some nights you're like nothing I've ever